What's going on, everybody? And welcome into the 123rd episode of the Crazy One Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Stephen Gates, and this is the show where we talk about creativity, leadership, design, and everything else that helps to empower creative people. Now remember, you can listen to the shows, get all the show notes, and a whole lot more. Just head over to thecrazyone.com. It's the words, the crazy, and the number ones.com. Make sure you also hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new shows whenever those come out. And when you're on that platform, do me a favor, take just a couple seconds and leave a review. It's always the only cost of admission I ever asked for the show and definitely appreciate it. And also remember, if you have any questions, you just want to keep up with my adventures or things like that, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram, and you can follow the show on LinkedIn or Facebook. Now, the next three shows are going to be a little different from the normal format that I'm doing. And that's because I want to talk about one topic across three episodes. And that's because when you try to talk about how to define the value of design, there's just a lot to cover. Now, I did this format back in episodes 33 through 35 when we talked about design thinking because similarly, there was just a lot to cover. And so I broke it up into three parts. So I figured, you know what, why not do it here? And the reason why I'm doing that is because the question, the question I have been asked the most by teams all over the world over the last couple of years, but especially over the last couple of months as I've been doing more freelance, doing more consulting, doing more coaching, has been time after time as a team, as an individual designer, how do I or we articulate the value of design? How do people understand what we do? How do they value what they, we do? How do we get headcount or funding or be taken more seriously or become a part of the process, right? Like these are all the sort of common questions that I get. And the reality is it's a simple question and one that candidly isn't that easy to answer because there's a lot that goes into just this one thing. So we're going to break this down into three parts. We're going to start with this episode, where I want to just sort of look at the power and the stigma of the word design, because I'm not always sure that we really take the time to understand how other people hear that word, how other people use some of the phrases we use, and how that impacts everything that's going to follow. Because I think if you don't understand that foundation, then everything that follows is sort of building on quicksand. Then I want to look at how do you actually create demand for design? Because if you're going to show the value of it, you have to work in particular ways. You have to have particular problems, right? Like there's a, there's a way that you need to set it up and you need to be able to work through it. So that'll be episode two. And then finally, we're going to talk about how do you, now that you understand the foundation, now that you built the demand, how do you then articulate that value? Now, I know you may be tempted to jump to the end and just hear how to articulate the value, but I can tell you, you need to stick with me on this journey through all three of these. It's going to be worth it because if you don't understand the whole picture and you just try to jump to the end, then you're going to get into trouble because, again, you're going to be trying to build on things or on concepts that aren't going to be there and you're going to get into trouble. Now, like I said, I've been having a lot of conversations lately about the word design. And since this is a podcast, you can't see that I just made like air quotes whenever I said the word design just now. Didn't do it to make fun of the word or even because I like using air quotes. It's because it's a word that has taken on so many different meanings in so many different contexts that I think it 
it's in danger of becoming a word that's either losing its meaning or taking on too many different meanings or becoming a phrase that can actually hurt our work if we don't understand what's going on. So that's why in this first part and in this episode, we're going to talk about that word design and its meaning, I think, in several critical contexts that you need to understand for you, your team, your work, and your career. And I've, you know, look, I think I've, I've hit on this a little bit in the past, um, but I think I want to package this up a little bit differently. I think it's something that I want to be able to go into in a little bit more depth. Because look, I think for years on this show, and at companies I've consulted for and worked on, and, and I think honestly, just in countless mentoring sessions, I always give one pretty simple piece of advice. And it's one piece of advice that I think a lot of times catches people off guard. And that is, if you want to scale design or have design be taken more seriously inside of your company, don't ever call it design. And I know that sounds like such a weird direction or such a weird piece of advice coming from somebody who's a design leader, right? Like, why on earth would I say something like that? And I say it because when we talk about design, we see it as a process, a way to create new ideas, a tool, a methodology, a way to bring people together to work on something together, But I think that's our perception. And just like so many things in what we do, you have to be aware that in a lot of cases, we can be our own biggest blind spot. Because I think most of the people that we work with don't see it that way. I think when they hear terms like design thinking or design systems, they don't hear a methodology or a toolkit they hear something that sounds like a claim of ownership or direction or a power grab or those sort of things. I think it's it's why if you've ever asked somebody to be a part of a design thinking session before, one of the most common reactions I've always gotten is they say, but I'm not a designer, right? Because all they hear is the word design. And that's why I've long said the worst part of design thinking, the worst part of design systems is the fact that it has the word design in it. Because it isn't really a, just a design process. A design system isn't just design, right? Like we know this, but I think for so many people, that reaction of like, hey, I'm not a designer runs deeper. Because with many people, I think they think these terms are an attempt for the design team to wrestle control away from them or other things. And, and look, obviously this isn't true in every company, right? You may be listening to that and say, I've never run into that. And that's amazing. But what I found is it is true for a lot of them. And let me give you a very tangible example. So like, it wasn't by mistake that when I went into City and one of the things I wanted to do was to scale design thinking, one of the big reasons why we were able to do that is because what we taught everyone, we called a discovery mindset not design thinking, right? And it's exactly the same with all the parts and phrases and right and all those things that because it was really something where if we said design or if we said design thinking, I would just see time after time that it just wasn't something the organization was going to accept or they weren't or they weren't going to support it. Because when I said design thinking, 
then everyone thought this was either they needed to be a designer, it was a process that only design used, it was a process where design was trying to take over, right? Like, it, it, it wasn't always just that, like, you know, looking at it as a power grab, but in all of those things, people were rarely excited to be a part of it. Because that's the thing, right? None of the perceptions were right, but in, in a lot of cases, what we found was it was easier to change the name than trying to rewire all of those biases against what we were trying to do. Because the uncertainty of creativity scared people that, you know, again, is it a design thing? And I think it's those pre-wired biases that really get in the way of people seeing what design really is. And I think it's, it is those pre-wired biases in the way people see design that then feed into something we talked about back in episode 91. I've talked about this in a number of cases, which is understanding this nuance between design and creativity. And we're going to talk about it again. I'm not, we're going to talk about it differently than we did back then, because I think hopefully this is going to give it a little bit more context so you can understand why this is something I keep coming back to. Because it's this tension between design and creativity that I think is also riding shotgun next to and probably feeding these biases. And that's why I think it's something that's important to understand. That whenever we're trying to bring people together and use design thinking to create something, when we're trying to create a design system and to be able to improve the product and go faster and do better and more consistent and more ADA compliant and all of those things that that's where this becomes so important. So, like I said, while we've gone over this before, I want to do it again, even though with a difference in what those two phrases are, because I think it's really important to understand. And if you didn't listen to that show, then pay attention here. Because, look, I know a lot of people would argue these are the same, but for me, these could not be more different. And especially in the context of this conversation, it really becomes important to understand the difference in how your team is perceived, the value that people see, because that sets you up for if you are not able to take on this basic problem, then no matter what you do, people are not going to see the value. So we have to make sure the foundation's right. So let's start with the most basic way of looking at these two things. And again, for me, even with design, you could substitute in coding, writing, like any sort of creating anything. But for this, we're going to say design. Now, for me, creativity, and the way I define that word, is that it is about problem solving, right? And what is the core methodologies like design thinking or design sprints or like, what are the things we do to solve problems? How do we think through how we want to do something? And then design is the visual expression of those ideas, and like I said, th these words may be different for you. It may be that as you're hearing this, you think of these phrases differently. I've been in some places where the terms are flipped. So let's not get hung up on the words. You can assign your version of what you want to this, but it really is thinking versus execution. That's really what we're talking about here. And this is important for you, your career, and your team. Because again, as we look at how do we create change? How do we show the value of design? How do we do these sort of things? One of the things you need to remember is that everyone is creative. In most cases, they've just forgotten. This is where I would encourage you, if you have kids, watch them. If you don't have kids, go over to your friend's house who do. Usually when you get them right around that age where they're in kindergarten, that's sort of the magic moment. Because what you see 
is you'll see in those kids that everybody is a superhero. Everybody's a painter. Everybody's a singer, right? Like there are these open channels of creativity and they just love doing this sort of stuff. And they don't have that self-awareness. They aren't sort of scared of what that is. They don't have imposter syndrome. They just do it and they use their imagination and it's great. And then because what you have to recognize is that over time, society, education, our jobs, these sort of things will teach us that, you know what, maybe that's not the right way to do things. Maybe you should be a little bit safer. Maybe you should be a little bit more structured in your thinking. And so a lot of that tends to fade away for people. But that doesn't mean it's not there. And I think that's why I love inclusive design methodologies, because you can bring everybody back to the table. You can remind them of those things. You can do that sort of stuff to reawaken that in them. But I think that it also means everyone can participate. And when they participate, they see value. And when they see value, then your team and what you do starts to get elevated. So again, that's why this base concept is so important, because design, design is the visual expression, right? Design as you know, the ability to take that thinking and give it shape and form and interaction, that's a specialized craft that very few people can do. So it's also whenever your team only engages in the craft aspect and not the creative aspect, then you have something that often feels impenetrable or that this is why it sort of gets into the make it pretty sort of phrasing because people just don't, they don't know how to engage it. They don't know how to do it. They get intimidated by it. So because of that, that's part of the reason why you get left out of the process. But also because then again, they see it really as just more of the execution. And I think that's the thing, right? Is that we're thinking about this, and maybe this gets a little bit overly ambitious, but I think, look, creativity for me is something I think about more like a social movement. It's how do we empower people? It's how do we be able to get people to return back to that, to, to think in different ways, to not run to the obvious solution, you know, to do a lot of these things that honestly corporate culture usually encourages us to really do. So we can open things back up. We can explore. We can, we can look at that. We do it in a structure because, again, we still have deadlines. But that's the problem, right, is that design then, design can be endlessly debated whenever we remove the thinking and it's just reduced to the execution, and so I think even to be able to do the craft well, you need to be able to have the thinking because, you know, the best design work that I present, I go through and present like what was the thinking? What was the challenge? What did the team do? What did we figure out? What was the breakthrough? How did we end up there? And then the design just becomes the visual proof point that reinforces and supports all that thinking. Because when the thinking isn't there, then everybody roots around in the design or they bring in their own personal opinion, trying to find it or sort of put their will on it. And we all know that, that doesn't work very well. But ultimately, I think the reason why this all matters so much and the reason why I want to start here is because so much of this, right? And I think this matters so much because it's how you position yourself and your team. And a lot of this stuff sets the foundation for how do you show your value, and I think whenever teams aren't taken more seriously, whenever they're told just to make it prettier, be at the end of the process, almost every time whenever I come back to saying, okay, what, what are you known for? Are you known for creativity, which is around thinking and your problem solving and your ability to, even if they come to you and say, hey, we love this one solution, you're able to take that, back it up and say, look, I hear what you're saying is this. But I think the problem you're trying to solve is this. And we're going to take your idea, and that's going to be one possible option. 
but we're going to work through a bunch of other ones as well because you know, and look, we want to make you a part of this process. We want to be able to look at it from different angles. We want to be able to do all these sort of things because creativity and value is driven out of starting every process with a problem to be solved, not a solution to be vetted. You can never generate value if you're just being simply told what to do because your value is just executional and then it is in more of the design side. And the problem is when all you're known for is that execution to make it pretty and those sort of things, Every team, every leader, every company is going to look at you and your team just as a commodity, right? You're somebody that just can get stuff done. You make it pretty. You, like, you, but again, you're not you, – let, let, let the adults handle the thinking, right? Like let us be able to do that stuff. You, you just do that design thing and that craft thing. So like we're just going to leave that to the end and, and we'll come up with all the ideas and then give that to you. That's an environment where no matter how good the craft is, no matter how well done it is, People just aren't going to see real value. And because that's the thing is the thinking, the creativity, that moves the needle on the business. That does some of the bigger things that the business wants. That brings in differentiation and new thinking and gets out of the trap of a lot of that corporate group think that doesn't yield great work. And so being self-reflective of looking at you and your team and where you are. And I think all of these perceptual biases can be summed up honestly in a pretty simple way, which is that we need to know that people see design as an output and an outcome. And that's what we're really talking about when we talk about design versus creativity, right? If we're gonna boil it down, if I was gonna to try to simplify it and push beyond what I've talked about before, design is an output, creativity is an outcome. Now, most people find design to be something, like I said, that they don't know how to engage in. So they see it as an output and that leads them to say things and they don't see much value beyond the like, quote unquote, make it pretty positioning. This is why teams who have their value based only in their ability to create an output struggle to be taken seriously, get a seat at the leadership table or show their value. And this is the start of that conversation on how to show your value, because you need to understand how design is seen and how it can mean more than one thing. And I think often it's this lack of understanding that's why teams, leaders, and people feel stuck in their careers because they're not able to take a step back, look at the larger picture, and see the difference in this perception. Now, let me be clear here. And once again, I'm not saying that the craft of design and the output of design has no value or is not important, right? Because we all know that's not the case, but I just want to give it voice and say it out loud that yes, the ability to do great work, to be able to build great interactions, to build great experiences absolutely is important. But what is more important is the thinking and the problem solving that goes into those. Whenever it's just simply giving shape and form to, to that idea and again, for so many teams, you know it's bad thinking. You know it's not going to work. But again, we're just told to make it pretty. How do we break that cycle? And I think that it is what happens when we only engage in the output that we get into trouble. So that part of it, that has to be great, right? So I'm not saying that that's a given. It has to be there. But the problem we get into is when that's the only thing. Because the output part of design, in many cases, I would argue, you know, is actually 
the part that of this entire process is easier to measure. It's easier to show the value, right? Because you can do things that you can measure the velocity of the team's work. You can say, you know, how much are we putting out? How much design work are we doing? We can measure the business and the performance metrics of the work after it's been launched. Is it moving the needle? Is it gaining us more customers, gaining us more revenue, reducing churn, right? Like whatever those metrics are, is it doing that? And then all along the way, we can test our prototypes to see how that performs. But it's that testing piece again, because what we want to be able to get to in every phase of this, but even if we start with just the output, is we need to be able to get to all these things to yield data. Because at the end of the day, what we're going to need is we need data to show the effectiveness of the team and the work. Because just saying, oh, isn't it pretty? Oh, doesn't it look good? Again, welcome to the commodity. Then you're feeding into the make it pretty narrative because they think, well, that's the only thing you value. So sometimes we're creating our own monsters because, again, whenever all we do is invest in the craft or whenever all we do is say, well, look how, you know, how good it looks, then somehow we get mad whenever they turn around and say, okay, well, make it look good. Again, this is that push and pull where we have to recognize we may have a role in all this. But I think the important thing also is that if you can find those business metrics, if you can test your prototypes, if you can do those things, if you can look at the velocity, it is also important that even if we're dealing just again on just the output side, it's important that once you have that data, you make sure that you share it and you show the impact. Because I think in a lot of cases, people think, oh, it's assumed or they know we're doing a good job or, oh, they, they should value us. Look at how much hard work we do. I never assume that people understand the value of what it is I do. And again, this is something that could be shared in send out an email every quarter. Do it at the next you know company or team or product all hands. Do a simple year-end video. Do it at every at your next postmortem, right? Like there's a ton of these places and opportunities to be able to stand up and to be able to show the value of what it is you're doing. I think it's just Find a place that feels like it is the right audience and has a receptive audience in your company and do it consistently. Because I think that ability that that is at least a starting point. So even if you're stuck in just the output, and as we talk about over the rest of this and the next two episodes, how do you evolve? So if you're just stuck in that in just the output place, take that out of this episode, right? Just start to get the data and then share the data and do it consistently because that will then start this shift and start to set the foundation. But the thing is, and as I said before, those metrics and that output can't be the only or primary thing your team is known for, right? Your major focus needs to be on your thinking, your idea, the outcomes. How do you bring people together? How do you push the thinking? How are you now what this is not is this is not saying that design rules the world, that design is going to run everything. That will not work. And I've said to more than a few teams, whenever I've been interviewed or have been hired, that if you're looking for like the design runs the world guy, I'm not it. And the reason why is because at the end of the day, we have to partner with the business, with product, with engineering, and that if we take on the behavior that so often we dislike so deeply of just engaging in who's right, you know, is design right? Just listen to us. Is product right? Just listen to us. Is engineering right? Just listen to us. The reality is, and I think we need to accept this just as much as, as these other partner teams, that all the work that is being done between all of us is design. 
And I think a lot of, I, I work with a lot of product teams, a lot of engineering teams, so I don't necessarily see it that way, but we are all doing design, right? Design and creativity are not exclusive to a department. And that sometimes if we get tribal or territorial about that, we are doing nothing but hurting ourselves because we have to realize that we are all in this together. We need to build things together that especially in places like the digital space or things like that, this is where visual design has evolved into product design. Visual design was make it pretty, do whatever you want, do it because we could just make it look good and we don't care. I think product design is about this partnership. It is about what is the outcome. And I think in many cases, you know, one of the, the first things to think about is either one, how do you start to use a methodology like design thinking or design sprints? I doesn't, I don't have a strong preference for either one, but the reason why I like to and gravitate to those time after time, the reason why I've used it for so many years is because it does a couple key things. And again, we've talked about this, go back to episodes 33 to 35, if you don't know the basics to be able to get into it. But you know, the basic thing that it does is one, it puts the customer at the center of everything you do. So it gets rid of that war for who's right. Two, it yields prototypes and it then tests them. That gets you data. That gets you an understanding. What that allows you to do is, I want partners who are opinionated. I want people who have thoughts, but I want a methodology that takes all those things and strips out the title and strips out everything else and just says, does this work or not? Yes or no. Right? So I think that's a, a pretty basic way to be able to do it. So I think it's really good at that. And that it's iterative. It allows you to keep doing this quickly, quickly, quickly to be able to get through and try a lot of different ideas. And again, really engage in the creativity. But the other thing that it does that I think is so important is that it focuses both on the output and the outcome. It immediately will, will give a lot more power and a lot more influence to the design team because in many cases, you're the ones who are running those sessions. Now, again, you, you as a designer creative, have to respect that moment. And this isn't just about you getting your way or you being right, because the reality is like, look, I've done design thinking long enough that I'm sure probably nine times out of 10, if I had an idea or an outcome that I wanted, I could go through an entire design thinking process. I could do it with a probably fairly big team and steer it to be able to get to the answer that I wanted. So I think that's also the burden of living on the creative side, the thinking side, the outcome side, is that we have to enter this and be unbiased. Because if we go into this with bias, if it looks like we're trying to control things and do stuff like that, then again, it doesn't feel like we're showing up as an equal and an objective partner. And that again, now we get back into the problem of design being seen as ownership. And then the circle sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But a lot of this also is, again, I think, in how you position it. Because whenever I talked about it, like when I was at the city, it was about a discovery mindset. It was about doing those sort of things. A lot of it wasn't necessarily talking about the process to get that started. Because again, whenever I said you scale design, don't use the word design. What I think you want to be able to do is you want to be able to talk about what are the outcomes you can get to. And the best example, so this is not my own. There's a, a really good friend of mine named Sina Mosayeb. Sina is like ex-IDEO. Um, he's at Medible right now. I think you know, he's, he's just, he has a way of looking at things that I think is just so fantastic. And the way that he would always talk about sort of starting this transition, and maybe I'm going to date myself, is he would talk about it like it was Super Mario Brothers. 
And for those who maybe haven't ever played Super Mario Brothers, so in Super Mario Brothers, you have the ability to be able to eat a flower, and it sort of gives you all this power, and then you can run around on the board and you can throw fireballs. So it's a it's this sort of really it's a fun moment. It's very empowering. But Cena would talk about you know bringing about this change like that moment in the game where you can walk around your organization and say, like, hey, do you want to eat a flower? Like, hey, do you want to eat a flower? And everybody's going, like, no, I don't want to eat a damn flower. Like, what What are you talking about? Like, that's just weird. I don't want to, like, what? And that's because you're talking about the process. And what he would say is if you walked around the organization instead and say, like, hey, man, like, do you, you want to, like, throw fireballs? And people are like, hell yeah, I want to throw fireballs. And it's like, you know, hey, do you want to do this, do like, this really fun thing and throw fireballs? And people are like, hell yeah, what do I need to do that? And, you're, and it's like, okay, we need to eat this flower. And it's like, if I eat this flower, I get fireballs? And they're like, yeah, like, hell yeah, I want to eat that flower. Right? So I think that while it may be oversimplified and a little bit funny, it, it definitely gets to the place of helping you understand that if you also deal more in outcomes, Right, Not focusing on the process or who's in control or doing those sort of things, but saying, if we do this, this is what will happen. That becomes often a, a much better approach to doing things. It takes advantage of the psychological tenant that people will support what they're a part of, not what they're told. But I think this does require a level of maturity and openness on our part. And that what we need to see is where I think so many of us see barriers and we see people who don't understand us or who are against us or who want to you know, somehow belittle us into just the make it pretty people. I, I think we need to take that glass half empty and look at it as half full. We need to see this as an opportunity. We need to see it as an opportunity to understand how we need to work with other people. We need to see that they are creative. They just, maybe they've forgotten. Maybe they're a little intimidated. Maybe they don't know how to get back to that place. Maybe they wish they could. Maybe that's something they want to engage in, but there's a lot of uncertainty because corporate culture doesn't tend to reward the behaviors that we have. It doesn't like exploration. It doesn't like a lot of these things. This is why creativity and corporate culture struggle to coexist because one likes process and certainty and timelines and a lot of these things. And we need to live in that world. But we're asking for exploration and thought and uncertainty and risk inside of some of those timelines. And that doesn't always make people comfortable. So I think, again, we need to see this as an opportunity for how we need to work with other people. How do we show up? How do we go into that with the, the empathy and the understanding and to talk about the outcomes to bring them along in that process, to show them the value, to show them our value, to show them that we can help with that. And we're not doing it in that sense of ownership. We're not doing it to do a power grab, but it's to help them rediscover their creativity, help them become comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that often is, as we talk about the power and the stigma of the word design, I think that's what it often comes back to, is that the people who see the power in it are the ones who have become comfortable being uncomfortable. The ones who see it as stigma and ownership, in many cases, are uncomfortable being uncomfortable. Because a lot of what they do it revolves in certainty and timelines and deliverables. And again, they have a real sense of what it is they're doing. And we're asking them to go into a process where the only two things that I know for sure around innovation are, as you go through it, you're going to need to get a bunch of stuff wrong. And most of the time, you don't know where you're going to end up whenever you start. That is a hard journey to go on. That means we have to build trust and invest in our partners in these things to be able to build the ability to take that risk. Because it's a rare company that sees that as the stock and trade. Because I think that's also the thing that I've discovered. 
is that whenever I sit down with leaders or CEOs or I sit down with teams and I say, what team do you admire? What work do you admire? What, who do you want to be like? And they say, oh, I want to be like whatever, Apple or Spotify or Tesla or whatever it is. The interesting part is that in the vast majority of those companies, the conversation they're not having is what is the value of design? Because they've gotten to the other side of that and they see the value in it. They see it as an output and an outcome. And that most of the time, the teams that are asking that question are stuck squarely in the output category. I, I, that's why I said, I just wanted to start with this sort of foundation. I wanted to keep it a little bit short and brief, but I just think because if we go into this with the wrong mindset, again, you can do all, because you know, where we're going to go from here starts to get into much more tangible artifacts, tangible processes, tangible sort of things like that. But if you go into it with the wrong mindset, you can do all that. You can make it world-class. You can make it the best that it's ever been. But if the people you're engaging in don't have the right mind space, if they don't see the team the right way, then again, you're always just going to be fighting against that because they just see you as an output. But hopefully this starts to get you thinking, right? Hopefully this starts to get you looking at your work and your team and some of those things a little bit differently. So in, in the next episode, what we're going to do is we're going to launch into how do we start to leverage this way of thinking? How do we leverage this foundation to start to do some things to make sure that there is demand for design? And this really gets back to what I'd mentioned before around how do we make sure that we are getting problems to be solved, not just solutions to be vetted. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Some of that means that we're going to engage in things that maybe traditionally aren't thought about as purely what design would do, or there are things where we need to get in and really partner with product, engineering, marketing, you know, executives, whatever those teams would be. But because we're doing this to make sure that, one, we're clear on the problems to be solved, but then we're setting ourselves up to go and do that work. Because we have to understand the foundation. The foundation has to lead to building demand and the repositioning of what we do. And then once we start to do that reposition, then we can look at how do we show the value. So like I said before, I'm going to put all the show notes and all that sort of stuff. And, and again, there's one or two articles even related to this that go a little bit deeper in other directions. I'll put that, uh, again, just go to thecrazyone.com, the crazy, the number one.com. Um, you can go in, go to episodes, find 123, go into the show notes, and I'll have all that listed there for you. Uh, again, you know, make sure subscribe so that when those new episodes come out, we can keep this conversation going. Whenever you subscribe, make sure, do me a favor, leave a review, and all that good stuff. But as always, and I think most people probably turn off the show right around here, is that everybody in legal wants me to remind you that uh, this show does not represent any of my former employers. Still trying to find that current employer. Isn't that a fun little trip? Uh, these are all just my own opinions. Uh, I always want to thank you for your time, right? I know time is truly the only luxury any of us really have. I'm always incredibly humbled you want to spend any of it with me. And so think about this, right? Think about this output and outcome. Think about the stigma and the power of design and really think about where are you and your team positioned in this process? Because I think that's the mindset and that's the thinking we're going to need as we go into the next episode to look at building the demand for design. So have fun with that process. Do a little self-reflection. And as always, stay crazy.